Hello, 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 and welcome to Newsy's Nook, a podcast where you can sit and relax while I try not to wet my pants. I am your host, Newsy Baby. This week in Newsy's Nook, a TikToker defends the ABDL fetish from common misconceptions. I bring them into Newsy's Nook to ask the question, why did you stand up for us? This week in Newsies News, Recon has released their ABDL talk with Crib, Kit Wild, and Whore. This video comes as the fetish hookup app has added ABDL as an interest. In the video, the diaper butts talk about the ABDL identity, their other fetish interests, and dispelling misconceptions about the ABDL fetish. I will have a link to the video in the show notes. Also in Newsies News, Casey Strom, the CEO of ABU, is turning three... Point three in February. To celebrate, he is doing a raffle. You have a chance to win a Nintendo OLED Switch, a $150 ABU gift card, or a $50 ABU gift card. Three winners will be drawn on February 22nd. This week in Newsy's noteworthy events, in Chicago, Puddle Scouts is hosting a crinkle crawl on Friday, January 27th. In California, Pup Fenrer is hosting his pup night at Patty's in Ventura on Sunday, January 29th. In Maryland, ABU is hosting their first open house. Come meet the local community, shop, play, and learn with the ABU team at their Maryland warehouse Saturday, February 18th. This week in Newsy's Nook, racism, ageism, anti-Semitism are just a few prejudices that exist in our society. In a poll on Twitter, I asked, have you experienced these prejudices within your kink community? 60% said yes, and 37% said no. I brought up this poll because recently a TikToker defended ABDL by saying that racism and age play should not be grouped together as red flags. It started with TikToker Smile Smuggler making a video condemning anti-Semitism in kink. A user on TikTok commented on the video saying that racism play and age play are red flags. Smiles replied to the comment saying that age play and racism should not be lumped together. The TikToker then went on to explain infantilism and the common misconceptions associated with that kink. I brought Smiles into Newsy's Nook to talk about this video, Consent, and sex education. Well, thank you, Smiles, for coming to Newsy's Nook. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I really wanted to talk to you after I've followed you on TikTok for a while now. And, you know, I never in a million years have I ever seen a TikToker with your audience size ever talk about ABDL. And so you did post about how someone said a big red flag for them is someone that is into age play. And then you went on to create a post that was educating, educating them on how age play and infantilism is nowhere near pedophilia. And it's just between two consenting adults. So my question is, you know, you could have let that comment slip, but why didn't you? In general, I am very, very proud of the type of followers that I've cultivated on my page. So I have nearly 150,000 people that all are just so kind and supportive. 
And that should, I feel, extend also to the kink community. So whenever I talk about kink and I get someone making a comment that is inappropriate or exclusive to certain communities, if it's going to be putting someone else down, especially when it's when it shouldn't be, um, I I have to say something because I need to make sure mm -hmm. that my my group, my community, my people all know where I stand on these sorts of things. Right. And I think and that's very I, I really like that. It's very refreshing to hear that, like when you do when you are self-aware that you have amassed a following, there is a responsibility to be a good steward of education and making sure there is not, you know, bad stuff happening. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to patrol all the comments, but if you see something, you know, say something. Yeah, definitely. And especially when it comes to things that are as serious as like anti-Semitism or uh, completely putting down an entire group of kink players um, that aren't doing anything wrong. It's mentioned in the video that it's nothing like pedophilia, and that's one of the main confusions a lot of people have. Um, I just, I can't believe that someone would lump in ABDL play with racism which is what was happening in that original comment. They were saying that mm -hmm. my red flags are racism and age play. And I just, my mind was blown that those were getting put in the same category. Right. They like, they shouldn't even touch each other at all. Exactly. We'll get to the anti-Semitism comment in a hot second, but you know, ABDL is a, is a kink that is, not talked about a lot and maybe it is shown in television shows maybe it's shown in in a movie with a man wearing a diaper but the acronym abdl is not thrown around a whole lot in pop culture so why do you know what abdl is um it's kind of a long story uh but many years ago due to some not so great events that i've already talked about online so a little bit of a content slash trigger warning here um, for sexual assault. Um, back when I was a couple years younger, I was sexually assaulted and roughly enough that I had to get a triple surgery to fix things up. And in getting ready for that surgery, there was like a five to 10% chance that the surgeon told me, Hey, you might be incontinent after this. Wow. Um, so I went in for the surgery. Everything did turn out pretty good. Um, I healed up pretty well. But during that process of healing up, I did have to use diapers and wear them. And it's around that time that a lot of my friends that are sex workers or kinksters um, reached out and were like, hey, <laughs> so there's this, this thing you should know about. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, they mentioned that, yeah, there's actually an entire community of people that would be totally accepting, if not excited, to be around you <laughs> when you're in diapers. So hearing about this community, especially knowing that there's a lot of people that have disabilities and live in diapers just regularly throughout life, they, they also have sex lives. <laughs> Um, <laughs> knowing that there's a community that's so accepting of these people and even celebrates them was 
just so wonderful and wholesome. And from there, I started getting to know some of the people in the community and making more mm -hmm. connections and friends and just finding that they're like the most welcoming, kind people. Right. So much so that you told me before this interview that you're going to Capcom this year. <laughs> yes. Um, because I made friends with a lot of people, even specifically people that work at the companies that make diapers for mm -hmm. adults. Um, mm -hmm. I found out about these conventions and they were all so, so excited about it. So I wanted to see what was going on with that. And I also wanted to see if I could help out because I'm, I'm a very service oriented person. So mm -hmm. if I ever see something where I can help out, especially if it means like going and hanging out with friends and meeting new people, um, I'm definitely going to do it. So I, um, I am going to Capcom so that I can volunteer and help like run the thing, put it together and help with registration and all of that. It's going to be, from what I can tell, a very good time. Because the doctor said you ha were on the, the possibility of being incontinent, can I ask the question of, have you worn a diaper? Yes. Yeah. During the recovery period, I wore diapers a good bit um, because uh, when you have a surgery, in that part of your body, uh, there is obviously going to be a lot of side effects, including, uh, but not limited to issues with constipation and different things like that. So it's not a requirement to wear a full diaper, but pretty much everyone that has surgeries like that has to have some sort of padding behind them uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> to kind of help things out while you're healing up. Right. Last question on the subject. What was it? Yay or nay? Would you do it again? Um, for necessity, definitely. There's nothing wrong with wearing a diaper as a medical product. Uh, it's super duper helpful. And for personal interest or play, um, if I was with the right person, I might be convinced to. There you go. If you see my Capcom, you know what to do. <laughs> so let's go back to the whole reason of why we reached out, right? We There was that comment of saying anti you know, there was racism and age play linked together. Um, but what made you passionate enough to make a video? Because, right, it was responding to, you made a post about there was someone with, like, um, a Nazi tattoo in, like, a kink video or something. Mm -hmm. What made you passionate enough to make a video about that? Um, I think it might have just been my a little bit of past experience with activism. I was definitely very much part of the Black Lives Matter movement and going to the protests and built a practice of when you see something's wrong and especially when it's like basic human rights, um, you call it out and you call it out loudly. You make sure that people know that this is not okay. So when I saw this anti-Semitic stuff, which by the way, it's not mentioned in the video, there was a swastika on the guy's leg, but there was also eights, like double eights, double S's, mm -hmm. lightning bolts. It could not have been more obvious with all of these dog whistles uh, or hidden symbols that Nazis or neo-Nazis use to mm -hmm. try and communicate with each other that, hey, I'm a Nazi. Um, if you ever see those in an image, call it out, please. Uh, but I saw that and I went ahead and messaged the person who had posted the picture immediately and was like, hey, this is so not cool, but right. maybe you didn't see these or maybe you're not familiar with these dog whistles. 
um, just letting you know so that you can take it down. They seem to have been a Nazi, so they've been reported and blocked, but <laughs> um, you, you can't sit by when stuff like that happens. Right. No, totally agrees. You have to call it out. What are some other big red flags that you feel like people should call out? Mm. There's a whole list, right? There's probably a whole list. But what, <laughs> yeah. but what are some that you that you constantly see, right? Like you say so you've called out anti-Semitism. What are the other ones that you are finding as you're perusing through content that you're like, why is this why is this even in the in the sphere of content that we are all digesting? Yeah. Um well there's the obvious answer of any of the isms, whether it be racism, ageism, so on. But less obvious, but definitely just as important is people that are either very unclear with consent or just straight up start play without getting consent first. Mm -hmm. um, there's multiple styles of consent that I really, really love to talk about. Uh, where there's either yes until no consent or no until yes. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's one of my favorite things to teach people. <laughs> the no until yes? Yes until deep. no or no until yes. <laughs> Please deep dive, explain more. Um, well, whenever it comes to talking with people and negotiating how you're going to interact, whether it's in play or uh, even just regular life, it's really good to talk about the style of consent that you want to work into whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you can either do yes until no or no until yes. When you're doing yes until no, you talk with your other people that you're involved with up front and you let them know we're going to keep going and pushing limits and boundaries until someone says no. Mm -hmm. We're not going to ask as we go. We're just going to keep going until someone says no. And that can actually be a healthy way of doing play. As long as you've talked about people's boundaries beforehand, their red flags, what they, their safe word moments. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> versus the opposite is no until yes. You assume your partner or the people that you're playing with are going to say no until they say yes. So in actuality, that looks more like, say, if I were in the same room as you, Newsy, mm -hmm. and I wanted to kiss you, I would ask you before I kiss you. And if you said yes, then I would be making out with Newsy. If oh, you <laughs> said, um, can I put you in a diaper, like you mentioned before, mm -hmm. uh, you would have to be under the assumption at first that I would say no until I said yes. So assuming I said yes, then great, you can do that. Every step of the way you ask and you get consent, you get confirmation before you move on to the next level, as opposed to yes until no, you're just assuming as you go, you go ahead and kiss them and you start putting them in a diaper. You don't ask anything until they say, no, I don't want to do this part. Mm. I think what, what, what is making my now brain gears going very quickly is it mm -hmm. seems like no until yes is very safe, right? Like yes. that should be maybe teach that one first. No until yes is the beginner's version. Uh, right. the very much 
And it's something that I still much prefer whenever I'm doing things with people. I want someone to ask me for consent before they try to do something with me. Uh Um, That's not, even though it's something that you may start out with first because it's safer and more communication based. Mm -hmm. um, If you're going to do yes until no, you do need to be experienced with kink. You need to know what you're, red flags are you need to have the confidence to know that you're going to be able to say no when you get to the time where you want to say no and it's not something that a lot of people have uh up front especially a lot of people when they're starting out with kinks they're wanting to explore new things they'll push their boundaries further than they meant to just because they don't want to make it awkward or they've never been in that situation before and they don't know how to say no properly Mm -hmm. um so it's it's very much one of those things where if you're going to try doing yes until no you need to know what you want you need to talk before you play and put those hard limits in place so that people can know how to safely play with you without making you feel uncomfortable um even though it will be a lot more assumptions and a lot more figuring things out as you go (laughs) right and it doesn't even have to be to kink, it could literally be, you know, as simple as, as, as we were talking about kissing, right? Yeah. Like, and what I think is also, this is like the first time, like, yes, I've heard of these styles before, but it's also make me making me aware of, I think a big thing. Yes, we all, I think everyone in the kink community agrees with consent, but I don't, I don't think I've ever had a conversation of styles of consent, styles mm-hmm. of uh, consent. And now that I'm thinking about it, it should be in in the list of negotiations that you have before a scene. What is your style of style of consent? I think that mm-hmm. it, you're making me aware of, yeah, that should be one of the top questions that you do ask even before of like, can I put you in a diaper to just be like, what is your style of consent? So then I know, okay, cool. Once I start doing this, I don't have to check in so much. I can just start doing exactly. it until you say no. And now that also can take away a lot of the anxiety and worry of being the dominant partner because you already have it in place, like your submissive or your partner has Mm -hmm. already told you, hey, unless I'm saying no, you're doing great. (laughs) Um, We're hitting all of the right boxes until I say no. So you can be a little bit more confident as you go and know that they're enjoying it. Uh, It's just generally a really great thing, at least in my personal opinion, to introduce into the negotiation, the talks that you have before you play or do anything with people. It's just great to understand each other's communication styles. But on that note, this gives you a really good basis for me to under, or for you to understand what I'm going to be complaining about here. Um, My red flag is when I run into someone that immediately jumps into role play without asking, without Mm. getting any consent or any heads up that this is okay. If someone hops into my DMs and the first thing they say is, I want to tie you up or Mm. I want to do whatever else to you, because I have like a semi-large platform partially built off of me being an LGBTQ plus uh, creator. Uh, which does mean that a lot of people will see me and if they find me attractive, hit on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, 
<laughs> it can be really, really awkward to get a message that is just off the bat already in the middle of roleplay, as if we've already had a conversation, as if I know their name, their age, who they are, whether this conversation is even legal. Um, it's just such a massive red flag to me, especially if they're going to send like pictures or videos without any way of me confirming that they're an adult first. That is just my heart stops in my chest a little bit because I don't want to be involved with that. I'm going in to be a teacher and I do not need minors sending me things that they shouldn't be sending me. <laughs> right. You don't you don't need that. Well, that's so scary. No one needs so, that. <laughs> that whole thing of negotiating and talking things out before you get into role play is just so huge and important. If someone immediately tries to dom you before they've even talked to you, that is a red flag. <laughs> yes, yes. And and I think one thing I want to throw out there, because I sometimes get it too, people will message me saying like, are you soggy? Are you messy? Or are you mm -hmm. all these things? But then I'll also get the opposite side where it's, hey, but then nothing else. Oh, and no. <laughs> I live a very busy life where yes. like, like, I'm fine with people messaging me, but tell me the intention of why you're messaging me. It doesn't, like, if you want to daddy me, great. Maybe it's, hi, I think you're super cute. May I daddy you? Are you open to it? Mm -hmm. Like That's a nice question. And then I know what your intentions are. And then yeah. I can now file in my head of, do I respond to this now? Do I respond to it later? Or do I never respond to it at all? And the thing is, you can also introduce this concept of um, getting consent in a sexy way without it being inappropriate. Like, not just being like... Um, May I be able to be your daddy? Um, you can say something along the lines of like, hey, do you want a daddy? Like, it doesn't right. need yes. to be stilted just because you're asking for consent. It's just honestly a little bit more um, realistic when you ask for consent because you're having a normal conversation. You're not coming in with a persona. You're coming in as yourself. And if they agree that they want to see that persona, well, then hmm, you can get things going. <laughs> Right. And it's never a dig if it's no, it's just like maybe not at this moment or maybe yeah. I'm not feeling it right. Like that, like, I think that's the one big thing that I hear a lot is like, oh, I always reach out. No one says no one says yes. And it's like, well, maybe it's, you know, sometimes that happens. Maybe you it's just not have the right move. time. <laughs> you just have to you just have to keep moving forward. All right. That's a great conversation on consent. And those are really good red flags. Thank you for bringing those up. Let's turn now to. um. I, you were saying before this interview that you are sober. Yeah, um, I say sober. As of recently, I've I've switched to sober adjacent. I like to call it. What um, does sober adjacent look like? Before we continue. Yeah, <laughs> sober adjacent is. I personally am one of the most curious people you may ever meet. If there's something that I can try, I will try it. Okay. Uh, as long as it's safe and consensual and preferably legal. Um, okay. <laughs> but that does also apply to experiencing different foods, drinks, so on. And well, drinks. Um, yeah. If there's a drink that I haven't tried before, I am one of those people that will very much try it. But like, it'll, <laughs> I'm happy to have like a little teeny tiny sip and like a quarter inch of sip because i know that uh these lovely listeners cannot <laughs> see me but right. um 
I'll just have like the bottom of a glass of wine, just just the tiniest bit of whiskey or bourbon if it's something that I haven't tried before because I love to taste. Um, so that's what like newsy. <laughs> um, so that's why I say sober adjacent and being in spaces where drinking and trying new things um, is so normalized and mm -hmm. often expected uh, in like kinky spaces or LGBTQ different spaces. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much an expectation if, if you're over 21 and you're not stone cold sober, then we expect you to be drinking with us. And if you do say you're sober, then we're going to probably ask you why, whether that's polite or not. Got it. Yes. Um, no, I don't want to make light of you being sober, but I think that is a big conversation that doesn't get talked about a lot is how when you do go into these other gay and kink spaces, there is, there is this pre like this idea of like, why aren't you drunk? Why aren't you high? Why aren't you rolling? Why aren't you on something? Why aren't you having fun? Mm -hmm. Like there's this association of like, if you're gay, you're a drunk, right? Which... Like, or, or, or like you better be drinking or why yes. aren't you drinking? And it's so confusing too, especially running into different kinks where it's like they somehow will mix it into every kink that you can think of, whether it's pups putting like beer in a dog bowl or babies putting beer in a, um, a Baby bottle. bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it does. <laughs> People will find some way to mix it into almost every event, every meetup, and I can understand why a lot of people have like social anxieties and they will decide to treat it with alcohol sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as they're doing it safely and they have control and all of that, I pass no judgment. It's just not personally for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting going into these spaces where it is expected and so normalized and being like, hi, um, I'm I'm not I'll, I'll have some water, you know, <laughs> and they kind of all raise their eyebrows at you like, oh, <laughs> you're not a baby. <laughs> is that is that difficult for you? Because, you know, I can only imagine when you're in this when you're in these environments that it's kind of like, you know, I kind of want to be true to my true to myself mm -hmm. right true to the true to the to the mission that i have for myself and what i wanted for my own health yeah um well honestly i try my best but i'm not always successful and that on it says a lot because i'm a pretty confident person i run social media platforms i'm constantly around people like social interactions are my gig mm -hmm. but when you get pressured with well, social standards or assumptions, it's really, really hard to say no. I mean, I have a little anecdote of literally two days ago, mm -hmm. I had to go downtown to take a bunch of pictures for a project that I was working with. And part of it was going into a bar that is honestly a great bar. I know the bartender because they do a bunch of events there. So I'm there with friends here and there. I walk in, bar's empty there's not a single person there. Like you could just see a fly coming out of a wallet. It's very, very quiet, no money going okay. through. Okay. So the bartender sees me, gives me that look of, hey, yeah, I'll get behind the bar to help you because you're the only person here and I need someone to come get a drink. And uh -huh. I was like, well, okay. Wasn't planning to drink. I was just gonna take pictures, but you know, I feel very bad now. So I'm going to take like a whiskey pickle, whatever shot. 
because it's something that I hadn't tried before. And that's my whole like, if I haven't try tried it before, new. I'll try something new. Mm -hmm. I was like, great. Yeah, now I'm okay. I've had some drinks, so I'm going to not be able to drive. So <laughs> guess this photo shoot's going to take a lot longer. And mm -hmm. if you're less confident and more easily pressured then instead of having that be a one-off event where you're in like a really awkward social situation and it you feel like you have to it could be in every time you go out thing and that's where it starts being a little bit harder a little bit more dangerous if you're drinking really regularly every time you go out and haven't really set good controls for yourself or good limits right on a serious note i would like mm. to ask did you suffer from alcoholism? No, but it runs in the family uh, and close family members of mine have definitely suffered throughout my whole life with it. I genuinely, I'm not going to say the specific person, but I thought that was just how they smelled <laughs> growing up. Oh, I no. thought that um, this person just smelled like beer. I didn't know that beer had its own scent or like a different thing until I got to like 17 or 18 and smelled like someone else's beer and was like, oh, that's how my ex smells. <laughs> it's like, got huh. It. <laughs> okay, is that not how that's supposed to be? Right, um, right. So coming up with that and a lot of the less than preferable experiences growing up that get involved with alcoholism, um, got it, it just scares me straight. <laughs> So this, so the sobriety is more of, I've seen what it can do and I'd rather not get on that train if I don't have to. Yeah. I know myself as a person, if I start doing something, I'm going to hyper fixate or want to do it a lot. And, uh, alcohol should probably not be one of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I have an addictive personality and mm -hmm. I have my own vices that I am trying to work through. So thank you for talking about sobriety. Sure. In, in your way. So let's move on to. You know, you told me you want to become a professor and you're studying to become a professor. In your opinion, what is the state of sex education in the education system? <clears throat> Abhorrent. I am in the South, by the way. Um, oh. The Bible Belt. So it doesn't so. exist. There's no sex education there. <laughs> well, I got really lucky because I was raised in a very big city that has a lot of international students. Um, I had a big airport right next to me. Okay. Um, and it was just a hub of different cultures, uh, a little bit of hub of <laughs> population in the South that you don't normally get lucky with. So I was able to actually get my sex ed class as early as I think it was fourth grade for me. Wow. Um, whereas I know people that were living in the same state as me, like a city over, and they just straight up did not get proper sex ed until they went to college and took an anatomy class and they were like, ah, so that's what the other gender looks like. <laughs> There's uh -huh. intersex people and those exist. And it was like, right. So yeah, it needs a ton of work, a ton of reform. Uh, There's so many things in the education that need reform. I mean, we talked earlier about race as well. There's just a complete lack of social coverage in education because i think a lot of americans have the perspective that teachers are supposed to just teach very clinical academic subjects that we're not supposed to involve ourselves in 
parenting, quote unquote, mm. even though we have the children with us for often more times than the parents do while the kids are awake anyway, for a large portion of their childhood. Right. So I guess my question to you now is, there's a huge debate, right? Like, I think I can't give it the specifics, but I think I've seen it in the news enough to where there's a huge debate on even gender, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what what can we talk about gender? What can we talk about pronouns and all that? So I guess my question is, before I even ask you, where do you start in fixing sex, sex education? Where do we go and fix even the structure of sexuality? Where do we go to even fix the structure of how do we talk about gender? Because it seems like, you know, what you get in California, what you get in the South is totally different. So is it more mm -hmm. of a state by state approach? Is it more uh, district by district? I mean, where do you start to fix these sex education problems? Um, huh, not to get a little bit political here. I try to avoid that going in to be a teacher, but I kind of need to. Um, I have some really strong opinions about the people's ability to affect government change and uh, legislation specifically. I saw some very fun statistics about the effect that we have on um, whether laws pass or not. It turns out that laws pass on about a 33% average for whether mm -hmm. we want them to pass or not in America. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter if like the entire population says, no, this is a very bad law. We don't want it versus a hundred percent of us say, yes, please give me this law. This will help everybody. There's still only a 33% chance or so, but that is only if you're talking about the bottom 90% of voters. When I am saying economically, if you're in the bottom 90%, I'm sorry, currently in America, your vote isn't doing a whole lot, but if you're in that top 10%, if you have money, it's much, much closer. Pretty much the entire graph of it shows if you don't want that law to pass, there's nearly no chance that it's going to pass versus if you want it to pass, there's much closer to like a 60% chance that it passes. So it doesn't matter right now what America believes, what my opinions are for gender or sexuality, because none of the legislation that's going to allow us to talk about those things, none of the structural or systemic changes are going to be put into place until we have a little more power on our side. And some ways that that might be able to be achieved may be either removing the electoral college or introducing um, bans on filling the pockets of politicians. Um, there's a variety of different ways to go about it to give a little bit more of voting power and legislative control to the population and the people so that we can get some real changes for gender and sexuality in. In education. Got it. Yeah. So I guess then my let's say let's say we do do some reform let's say sure. let's say we change all the other things that that affect making this decision. Let's say we do all that where where do you think that sex education should begin right there's that constant debate of like i don't want my two-year-old knowing about the birds and the bees mm -hmm. or there's that conversation of like you know it should only be in high school in your opinion now learning to become a teacher sure. where does where does that start where what like what grade i think it should be a part of every class that a kid's in whether it's in preschool elementary school, middle school, high school, 
but tailored to the age group that it's in. Mm. When you're in elementary school and there's say the most basic rudimentary sex ed classes or even just the rudimentary learning pronouns of she rides a bike or he goes and gets bread money, whatever <laughs> things you're going to get taught in the South. Um, right. Yes. It should also be included that they went to the store because there's going to be a percentage of the kids that are in these classes that are intersex that were literally born that weren't part of the binary um, by nature. And if these kids are not seeing any representation of themselves, then that's just a disservice to these kids, let alone all the other kids in the class that now don't have a way to refer to their friend. Um, it's just something that I think should be introduced at such early ages that it is completely normal to talk about abnormalities, differences in biology whether mm -hmm. you're finally getting into high school and you're talking in more specific detail of like these are all of the organs these are different ways that these organs can get mixed up um i was really excited even being in middle school again being in like a better area that did more of this stuff they had us do a project where they said hey every single one of you is going to get a different sexual like disorder or uh, abnormality, and you're going mm -hmm. to research this as your thing. And every student group went up and they showed their thing. I did Kleinfelter syndrome, uh, which if I remember correctly, it's been a minute, is XXY chromosomes. Okay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but- um, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, just having differences in your gender is such a huge thing that needs to be introduced so early and especially when it comes to sexuality i think as soon as kids start showing interests start showing uh wants to be physical which i would say is probably around adolescence uh -huh. um when they're starting to get more of those hormones going through though adolescence on average especially in america with obesity is a little bit lower than people teach it in textbooks um mm. that age especially if you are uh, a little heavier you can go through puberty a little earlier it's just a natural response that your body may have to that and so for the sake of those kids for the lot of kids that are going through puberty in an earlier range i think it should be taught towards the end of elementary school of like what sexuality is what's going on so that when these kids get those hormones and they start running into these feelings, they know that adults already accept them and talk about it and that it's okay to talk about it, that they can go mm -hmm. to people, they can have the web of support. Um, that's one of the most important things for kids, honestly, when it comes to education, sure, it's great if they can add numbers and do whatever, but it's building a good foundation to be a good person and building like social skills, connections, like confidence in yourself. It's so refreshing and I like and I kind of like the stance that I think I was hearing of how you tailor your sex education to to the students that you're teaching right like mm -hmm. I kind of like what you said when it's the younger students maybe it's just starting off with the pronouns right yes yeah. and the, it maybe it doesn't seem like your traditional sex education but you're building that foundation and then maybe you know by the time they get to the fourth grade then we introduce like you know 
what do these body parts do? You know, and then mm-hmm. you build it from there. So then by the time you actually get to like the actual birds and the bees education, it's not so much like, whoa, this is taboo. It's like, oh, we've we've been yeah. introduced to all this piecemeal wise. So now it's not this huge, big, like, whoa. Normalizing it a lot, kind of like uh, alcohol is normalized more in Europe where they slowly introduce it. It's a lot more regular to have like a quarter glass of wine for your 13 or 14 year old at the table so they can just be like oh this is what it tastes like that's gross because most most kids will kind of hate the flavor of that um but it's a slow introduction to it that normalizes it as just as regular or to be drank in the way that any other drink is um like lemonade versus wine If Mm -hmm. a kid is taught that you would drink these in the same way and that nothing is taboo or crazy or out of the norm with it, then they're more likely to treat it like a normal thing. Like most kids don't have lemonade every single day. (laughs) Um, Right. Yes. But when you prevent someone from having something for a really long time, whether it is wine, uh, for example, and you act like it's this scary taboo thing then a lot of the time people may not learn how to drink it safely. They may not have any experience with it. And by the time they do start doing it, they're in their most, um, I would say wilding days (laughs) when they're teenagers, when they're 21. um, And everyone is telling them to drink more and more and more. it's, it's really good to just introduce different concepts slowly and make sure that people know that it's okay. And the same thing applies to kink. Um, I know that I had never really heard much about ABDLs until I was literally in a physical <laughs> situation where I might as well have fit in. Um, so having more education on that, even when I've talked with people about ABDL stuff, since I do social media, I've run my own polls and I've seen that you run a couple of polls too here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have gotten some really harsh feedback when I ask about ABDLs. Uh, pretty much everything else has been pretty okay, pretty accepted, like pup play, furries, that sort of thing. Of course, some Other. people mm-hmm. are a little like awkward with furries, but it's for the same reason. There's a lot of confusion over mixing up sexual abuse with kink, where with furries, people mix it up with zoophilia and with ABDLs, they mix it up with pedophilia. Right. Which they're not, I will continue to say it forever. They're, they're not the same. Yeah, no, they're absolutely not the same. And don't just take our word for it. If you go up to psychologists, uh, different studies that have been done, which there's not been a huge amount of studies on ABDL since it's a more niche kink, uh, you can find a lot of information where psychologists all agree that ABDLs, whether it is um, considered a disorder or something wrong or not, they all agree that is nothing to do with pedophilia, that it's specifically between adults that are consenting, um, and that it's just a way of exploring, uh, interest or fixation in some cases. Right. Last question on the teacher subject. So I feel like because sex education is already in the education system, it's a little easier to have the conversation of like, when do we begin and where do we start? Kinks, however, I have never heard of kinks being in any 
form of sex education. So I will mm-hmm. ask the question is, do you think kink should be taught in school? And if so, at what a, at what level? I think that kink should be introduced in general terms. Uh, in so high no specifics. I wouldn't say you should be introducing high schoolers to specific kinks just yet Mm -hmm. um, because it gets into a really rough territory of what when people are in high school they're still not full adults they still do not have autonomy for the most part unless Mm -hmm. they're emancipated so they will be living with family by -hmm. all likelihood Um, and I don't want to ever have kids introduced to something that their family may consider deviant or inappropriate Mm -hmm. at an age where they cannot fend for themselves yet, where they don't have the skills or the aptitude to, um, or just the know-how yet to be able to live on their own in case their parents react poorly to that sort of thing. So just generally for the kid's safety, um, and especially because a lot of kinks do involve safety risks, whether it's BDSM and you're tying someone up, when you're a teenager, sometimes you uh, are a little bit more focused on yourself just because the way your brain is developing, it's completely normal to be a bit more egotistical just because mm-hmm. that part of your brain is developing and it's saying, hey, I'm anxious about what everyone thinks about me, but kind of the world draws around me right now. And that's okay. Right. It's super normal for teenagers to be like that, but it also makes it a little bit harder for them to focus on and make sure that their partner is safe all the time. So getting into dangerous acts or play, whether it's ropes, breath play, anything along those lines, when you're that young um, is not something that I would especially recommend, let alone teach in full general um, education. But I would want them to be aware that kink, um, abnormalities, different ways of exploring sex are available, that you don't just have to have penetrative sex, that there's other ways to pleasure partners, there's other ways to explore each other's interests while you're in bed. Um, God, why is the first thing I thought of like doing a Mario voice in bed? No, uh, <laughs> no, it could no, be a kink no. for someone, you know, it, it, it is, be. it fully is. Oh, are you are you um, admitting that maybe no, that's your king? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, we're, we're not admitting that. But um, I think actually getting to the specifics of kink is something that should be much more available and practiced at a college level, where students can choose to put themselves in an environment where they will be hearing about all of these things, and as an adult, they can make that decision safely. And that's kind of the other really big thing with kink comes consent and you can't legally consent if you're underage. Mm. So that's where it becomes like a really got it. uh, Scary thing to deal with as well. It's not something that I would comfortably introduce to minors because of that. So maybe the conversation in high school is there's there's more ways to get sexual pleasure other than penetrate with sex and and maybe i would say maybe introduce consent in the high school form oh yeah definitely because we all hear these stories of like teenagers not consenting to things right i i think yes. i don't know about you but i had the would you like some tea video yes played yes me yes in I've high school that. so if those if those i didn't get that in my high school at all but i i went and found that <laughs> 
So if people that don't know, I'll just give a quick recap. Basically, you can give the same phrases, would you like tea, with also consent. So if someone is passed out and you can't ask them, would you like tea, they cannot consent to get, having tea. If they don't say they tea. want, don't, don't give them tea. If, if, you, if someone says, yeah, if you ask them, would you like tea, and they say yes, and then five minutes later they say no, you cannot give them tea. Same mm -hmm. concept. So there you go. There's your little. There's it your doesn't little matter if you've gotten things ready and you've spent 30 minutes making them the best tea ever. If they say no and they don't want it anymore, they still can say no. Consent is removed and you don't give them tea. <laughs> you don't give them tea. Okay, moving on to another big topic. So I see this a lot. I experience it myself is, you know, I would say ABDL is my main king, but I have other kinks and sure. some of those kinks I I am a little more timid of, of revealing than others. I make them known in other little ways. So there is a separation. I'll, I always call it there's an alt account and then there's the, your, your alt alt account. Mm -hmm. So what is your stance on separating kink accounts and even kinkier accounts? Um. It's a really complex topic, honestly, because there's the question of is the kink account related to someone's income? Are they going to lose income if they associate the kinkier account? I may be going into uh, education as a profession, but a lot of my friends and community that I've made uh, are either sex workers or involved or related to or know sex workers. If you don't think you know anyone that does sex work, then look a little harder. <laughs> but um, when it comes to being a sex worker, it's just like any other sort of entertainment uh, or public facing profile, you need to make the right moves logistically for your brand, quote unquote, so that you can get the most people to make that income happen. And a lot of people are turned off by kinkier kinks. So people will make secondary separate accounts to preserve their income. Now, if you don't have to worry about an income and you're just worried about what people will think because you know that certain kinks are more taboo, um, whether it be ABDL or mm -hmm. um, gosh, there's a variety of different ones that we'll, we'll leave it to ABDL for this podcast sure um if you're going to separate accounts like that think about why you're doing it mm -hmm. is it because you don't want the larger community at wide to know that you're into that is it a personal safety risk is it just generally that you really like compartmentalizing your life um <laughs> which in that case therapy is a wonderful thing <laughs> um yes but yeah, it's really tough for some people to put these accounts together just because of how taboo, of all of the negative feedback that they've gotten on it. The poll that I never finished mentioning or talking about, um, I did get like a lot of really, really rough, mean, rude commentary when I asked about ABDL play. People responded to me very openly because um, I have no public association with ABDL. Mm -hmm. um, they were super duper honest with me and they made it super clear that 
they find it disgusting, abhorrent. Uh, they accused ABDL people of being pedophiles, which by the way, they're not. Um, just a billion different rude comments. But it really made me happy to see that they were just a loud minority. Um, when I kept doing these polls here and there, mixed in with polls of other things, um, I was seeing on average, it's pretty much a 70% positive or they don't really care, like it's fine, they have no opinion. And a 30% negative, I don't want to see that. Um, some of those, like maybe 5% of them being like aggressively against it. But Remind me again, it, what was the poll question again? Uh, the poll, I've done a couple different polls involving ABDL stuff. So oh, okay. Okay. it's so been on my OnlyFans. One of them was if they wanted, if they would be interested in seeing ABDL content or if they, um, I think one of them was just, what do you think of ABDL as a kink? In general. Uh, yeah. Versus on my private Twitter that's associated with my OnlyFans, I was asking people if I could reblog or uh, Twitter retweet different ABDL content, like how they would feel about that. Like, yes, I can reblog ABDL stuff. No, they don't want to see that or they don't care. And on that one, I got a 69%, like they either don't care or they're happy to see it versus that little 31% being like, no, please don't, please don't retweet this stuff. So now on my private Twitter, there's a ton of ABDL stuff as I support all of the friends and community that I mentioned on uh, earlier here. Oh, nice. No, I think in, I think the, when I talk to people about this, it kind of seems that like there are levels that you have to consider when you are separating your accounts. You brought up one of them, income, right? If mm -hmm. your income is based off of, let's say, sex work, um, you have to account for that. If your base is not an ABDL base and you're making money off, if your kink play, let's say, is pup play, mm -hmm. and, you all, and you automatically introduce diapers and you're relying on this income, that could be a risk and you, and yeah. you have to weigh if you're going to take that risk. I've heard the other argument of, you know, who are you doing your accounts for? If they're, mm -hmm. for, if they're for just yourself, there could be power in showing other kinks that you're interested in because at the end of the day the accounts for yourself it's not for other people but then there's also some people that you know there is a form of you know they want to show off and they want to gain more people around mm -hmm. and if they don't want to uh hinder that then i guess separating it i guess the point that i want to make clear on my stance is that it really depends on yourself it really depends on where you where how comfortable how comfortable you are showing mm -hmm. but that that's why i make it such an important point to that's why i created this podcast is to educate that you know there's this there's this kink that isn't as taboo as you may think it is we're just grown people pissing pissing ourselves in diapers that's that that that, that that's it totally no relatable sure totally cake. normal uh -huh. totally normal <laughs> who doesn't want to go see avatar in a diaper i mean come on like, it's a three-hour <laughs> movie oh my god honestly but um on that same note, it's very much, it should be talked about more because it shouldn't mm -hmm. be a taboo. So if you are someone that has a public platform and you're not worried about losing followers and you're really doing it for yourself and just making the content you want to make, 
I say mix the two. Go ahead, put some ABDL stuff in there, put whatever kink stuff in there, as long as it's consensual in between adults and all of that. Um, go ahead and put whatever you want there. Uh, spread the word, share whatever you love, and the right people that love the same stuff will find you. You'll find a more honest, supportive community that way. That's part of why I love my communities that I've built on my other platforms so much is because I've been so aggressively honest with them and open with them. I've talked about the sexual assault thing, the surgery that I had. It's something where it's scary to put yourself out online like that. And uh, all of the parents of us millennials would be so mad at us for giving the public every single detail of our life. Mm-hmm. But if doing so, helps just one more person feel comfortable and feel safe then it was worth it for me it should be hopefully for you too with your king stuff (laughs) there you go i love it well thank you smiles but before we go i want to play a quick speed round Mm -hmm. so uh it's either this or that and you'll just give which one sure grinder or tinder grinder people are more honest oh really on absolutely oh my god they're just honest about what they want whether they immediately send you a dick pic or they say exactly what they want sexually they are being very direct with what they want versus tinder it's like hey i do poli sci and i just want to make a friend and then they meet in person and it's like get on your knees and i'm like this is not what i came here for (laughs) it's that whole pre-negotiation anyway Uh, Uh, (laughs) hookup or hangout Mm. God, I, if we're talking about the same act and both are assumed to be sexual, I would much prefer to call it a hookup just because it's a lot clearer what it is. If I'm saying I'm going to hang out with someone, then I I don't, sorry, babes, you're not getting anything. (laughs) Okay. Underwears or Speedos? (sighs) Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Private or or little known fact about me. Um, Okay. I used to do this thing instead of splurging on food or gifts or other things like that. uh, By the young age of 18, I decided that anytime I had extra money on my paycheck, I was going to buy pairs of underwear. Uh, So I have like a couple hundred pairs (laughs) of just like any variety you could think of because remember that like exploratory nature, that curiosity. Yes. I wanted to try every single different shape, every form. And that does kind of cross over to Speedos a little bit, but that's more business because Speedos are, um, you can wear them in the public. They're PG. Underwear is not. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, so I'm not going to. Last question. <laughs> Last question. Can I diaper you at Capcom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am going to have to cross that bridge when I get there. All right. Thank you for that democratic answer. Thank you for coming to Newsy's <laughs> Nook. Smiles. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Alright kiddos, before I go, one quick update on my end. I joined a room with a cute diaper boy for Capcom, and I also bought my plane ticket. So all I have to do now is show up. If you're going to Capcom this year, please let me know. I would love to say hello. Alright kiddos, I'm officially soggy with excitement. I gotta go change. See ya. Bye.